We're going to dismiss the kids for their programming. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 4 and wait for me there. I'll, I will join you there in a few moments. Uh, it was a few years back, I think probably two or three years into my ministry here, I had uh, a couple um, share with me a concern that if I continue to go verse by verse, some people struggle with that because the verse by verse is, is, doesn't let us pivot fast enough to what's going on in our culture and society. Uh, there is an there is a, uh, incorrect thinking in the church um, by lazy preachers who do not like to study verse by verse. I'm going to be very caustic this morning, just so you know, that if you go verse by verse, you cannot relate to society, or you can't, it doesn't apply to life, and I just want to make it clear, you're going to find out this morning that's absolutely not true. If this is a Holy Spirit-led, once salvation through the blood of Christ, life, then His Word is very, very applicable to us every day, and you're going to see that this morning, and so this morning, I need you to take a deep breath. And I want you to exhale, and I want you to concentrate on the text, and uh, uh, because uh, because we're going to go a little high and tight as we go later later in the message. I believe uh, that this verse, James three thirteen, is the key point that James' theological point or the spiritual point that he is attempting to make to the Jewish believer, believers that are scattered throughout the world that he is writing to in this letter, and this is what he is saying. If you're wise and understand God's way, okay, and it's really, really important how you read this, and this is why context matters. Up to now, he's been saying, you got this issue, and you, you can't claim to be walking in God's spirit if you're doing this, and you can't, he's, he's attacking them, and then all of a sudden he says, if you're wise and understand God's ways. Remember that last week, at the beginning of chapter three, he said, not, it's a good thing to want to be a teacher, but not everybody should be it. These people are claiming, despite their sinfulness, to be spiritual leaders. Not once in this letter does he question their salvation. In fact, 12 times in five chapters, he refers to them as brothers and sisters. So he's writing this letter to brothers and sisters, to the family, to Christians. This is not addressed to non-Christians. So I want to start this morning by saying something. This morning's message is not for you if you're not saved. This is for the children of God. There are, and I've been saying this over recent weeks. There are too many people out in the world saying, um, looking at the church and saying, I, you know, the church's rules, I, I want to make it clear, they don't apply to you if you're not saved. And I would say that for the believer, this doesn't even question your salvation. It questions your commitment and your loyalty and your priorities. That's what James is about. James is a mirror, and he's trying to help the believers that are claiming to be spiritual leaders understand that they're pretty bankrupt. And they have some major blind spots. So he says in 3.13, if you're wise and understand God's ways, wink, wink, you're claiming to, then prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. These were believers claiming to be spiritually healthy and even teachers of others. And he's saying, if these things are true, if you think I'm wrong about the things I'm laying out for you in this letter, if you think I'm wrong, just prove it by your lives. In the next four verses, he basically summarizes his previously named concerns for them. Uh, in fact, in 3.14, he says this, But if you are bitterly jealous, then there is, and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth by boasting and lying. All right, let me bring you back. They're lying by saying that they're spiritually healthy. They're lying by saying that they should be teachers. Don't boast. Don't tell us how spiritual you are when your life doesn't reflect it. 
Again, not questioning their salvation, but this is a common conversation between believers. If you claim to be so on, uh, so on your game spiritually, your life should reflect it. It's not complicated. Verse 15, very next verse. We read 13, 14, now 15. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. He just undermined their argument. James, we got this. Well, spiritual wisdom isn't reflected in the way you live. Prove that you're really worthy of being a teacher and followed if by your life. For jealousy and selfishness are not God kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil, every uh, uh, and evil of every kind. Here is what the life look that is surrendered. This is what the life whose selfish ambition has been surrendered looks like. The very next verse, verse 17. But the wisdom from above, take a breath. He just explained, you claim to be spiritually wise. Well, prove it by your life. And then he shows them why he doesn't believe they are. This is a debate. And now he's going to tell them what it looks like if you're spiritually wise. The wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It is peace-loving. It's gentle at all times. It's willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and fruit and of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. And those who are, what does it say? Peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Gosh, it, if we could simply read this in our church, when I read this when I, when I was a child, and not allowed Satan to turn our business meetings into weird debates that were claimed as openness. We fought about the color of the walls, and I don't mean fight as in, I think it should be purple, I think pink. I mean, you shouldn't be making this decision. Or arguments over the cost of toilet paper. Or good or bad stewardship. I mean, y'all have been part of that. You've seen men of God go after each other. And if you haven't, you've certainly been in prayer meetings where all of a sudden it got kind of weird because it went from being concerned about this family to getting into their business. It went from prayer to meddling. But as long as we ended in prayer, we said it was a prayer meeting. That's a joke around the church because it's real. Or how about, the, how about the, uh, the truth that we have a tendency to endorse gluttony in the church? with some of the meals and the feasts that we have, and we make jokes about it. The, the truth is that we want God and our, ourselves. We want it both. That's what has James so concerned here, that we have divided loyalty between God and ourselves. And again, if you're not saved, this has nothing to do with you. And if you're saved, this is not a threat for your salvation, but it's simply saying, look in the mirror. We've lost our practicality. We've lost the reality of what this is. This is a Holy Spirit transformed life, but you would think that all we are is unsaved people with a fish on our bumper. We act exactly like the world acts. We do what we feel is right and pray after. We don't really believe God is involved. I ask you again to contemplate what would happen if the Holy Spirit did not show up in our churches this morning? Would there be any difference? Would anybody even notice? That's tragic. Because this was always by God, for God, and empowered through God. 
and we've turned it into a show, a rhetoric, a political action committee without thought. Peter and Paul both exhort us as the day of the Lord draws near to his return, we must think clearly and think wisely. The wisdom first from above is first of all pure. It's peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. To be clear, and this is where I'm going to start, I just you can disagree with me, but you can't just disagree with me because your gut tells, me, tells you I'm wrong. To be clear, God is less concerned with how much we spend on toilet paper or what color our walls are or even the style and instrumental accompaniment of our music. I would even say that God is less concerned with corporate decisions of Target or Starbucks and what they do with Merry Christmas than he is the hearts of those who work there. For us to minister in a fallen world that often offends our standards, it is to surrender, it is going to require that we surrender our hearts and what we feel is our rights to him over ourselves. Otherwise, we are just like Jonah. We don't want to go to the dirty people. We don't want to be around them. And we get on a ship and head the other way. Our next study is going to be Jonah. And I've already got a title for it. It came to me about 3.30 this morning. Here am I, send somebody else. Do you ever think about what it cost God to save our lousy rear ends? I want you to think about all the arguments right now going on about Target, okay? And I know some of you are upset. I get it. But I want you to think about all of the reasons God should not have sent his son. It's dangerous down there. That's my kid. My job is to protect my kid. I know some of you right now are seething about what I'm saying, but those are all true. And how about Jesus? They're not going to like me. I'm not going to do ministry. Nobody's going to follow me anyway. They're going to end up killing me. None of those things stopped him from his task. Those are all the same reasons we use for not going into bars in ministry. It's dangerous for me. Have you read John 17? Jesus knew it was going to be dangerous. That's why he said, Father, as, as you sent me into the world, now I'm coming back to you, and I was able to protect them while I was here. Think about how practical this is. I protected them while I was here with your name. I mean, even, and it was practical protection. Even when Jesus is being arrested, he tells them to leave the disciples alone and take him. You came for me, you didn't come for these guys. Leave them alone. I protected them. But Father, I'm leaving now, and I'm kind of worried that they're going to get beat up. But Father, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And all of these men that he's talking about and praying for were killed, except for John, who got to live on the luxurious island of Patmos until he died. Every one of their lives stunk because of their faithfulness. Somewhere along the line, we began to believe that this was supposed to be fun and safe. It's not. This is war, and it is not war against corporate heads. It's war against the lies of the evil one. 
boycott bathrooms, not lost people. Here's a thought. Think clearly. Stop on the way to Target. And I'm not even at that part of the message yet. Stop on the way at Chick-fil-A. It's a Christian organization, and it will never have a third bathroom. Go to the bathroom as long as you want there. (laughs) Buy a sugar-free lemonade and 52 pieces of chicken. And when you're done, go to the bathroom one more time, and then head over to Target. Why? Because if we leave Target as the temple of the Holy Spirit, God isn't there. Well, I've never witnessed in Target before. Why should I start now? Good good question. Good question. I think that's a very fair question. Why haven't you witnessed before? Because it's not my habit. Good question. Why isn't it your habit? I'm just not that kind of person. Good question. Why aren't you that kind of person? Well, because I'm too busy. That's a great question, too. Why are you too busy? Because I've got a life to live. Good question. What's the priority of your life? I mean, what are you willing to sacrifice? I've got news for you. Target is just the beginning. I don't know what's going on out there. I hope it's a phone or somebody's stomach is growling. Bring them food. Whatever happened to understanding the scripture that says, I, what, uh, the, where we all wore those little cute bands that says WWJD? What would Jesus do? Except I think we should change it. I think we should go back to ask, what did, Jesus, what did he do? Not what would he do. In a conversation I was having online that many of you were reading, where I didn't answer the question, I just asked some new questions. Uh, I had a pastor interacting with me, and I simply just told him, um, I said, you know, I think Jesus went to Target. In fact, I think it's worse than we can imagine. I think he walked into Target. I think he found the most gay transvestite he could, and he said, can I come to dinner? And when he said, oh, you wouldn't want to come to dinner at my house because I'm having a party of people just like me, Jesus said, what time will I show up? And if you don't know that he did that, you haven't read the New Testament. Because even his disciples stayed out of the house. And the religious leaders come to Jesus and they go, what is your your rabbi doing? And Jesus knows they can't answer it. So knowing their hearts, it says, he screamed out of the house. I didn't come to save those who think they're clean. I came to hang out with dirty folks. And you know what came out of that meeting? Nothing good from a religious point of view because they began at that point to call him a friend of sinners. How about that for a slam? So let me be clear as it relates to Mark Wilkie. And maybe this is the beginning of the end of my ministry in East Texas, but I am a friend of gay people. And transvestites are welcome in this church as long as they don't disrupt. And in my 30 years of ministry, it's never been one of them that has disrupted. It's Christians who have a Bible up their fanny, who have the right to the music they want, the colors they want, and the pastor to wear what they want. I got rebuked three months ago online because I wore a, uh, uh, <laughs> a NASCAR jersey. How dare you do that? Didn't, didn't even care to watch it. Actually, I'd have worn it anyway. Didn't have any idea it had something to do with the message. But that's what we do. I think God deserves your best. Well, it was the cleanest thing I had in my closet. <laughs> Everything else was behind snakes. 
What are we doing? We have been planted here to be courageous men and women of God, not to get mad at everybody. It is their world. We're the freaks. We're the ones who are out of place, not them. We're the ambassadors of a different kingdom. It's their world. They can take it to hell. By the way, have you read the end? It's going to get nasty. It's going to get weird. Why do we act so shocked? Why do pastors tell people to withdraw? Don't withdraw. Go get them. Actually, it'll make our times together more meaningful. Because the kind of things, put up there 17 again for me, Chris, please. The wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So, Pastor Mark, should we just let them take our country over? Ah! You are so white. Do you realize that for the first time in our country's history, it's we who are being prejudiced against? But for the rest of our country's history, if you were an Indian, if you were a black person or rumored to be a witch, that was your day. It's our turn. Nothing's changed. Except we're not killing people for the color of their skin. They're going to take our tax-exempt statuses because we believe homosexuality is a sin. This was never about giving for a tax break, although I do appreciate your giving. This is about God. <laughs> Nothing's changed. Well, it's going to get uncomfortable. It's going to get worse than that. Some of us are going to be martyred. Well, I don't want to be martyred. Neither do I. But it's better than finding a snake in your hallway. <laughs> Men and women... I know you know this to be true, and I know it's scary, and I know it's freaking out, but do you realize that that's what was going on when James wrote this letter? They were, they were free to kill Christians. It was scary. If Nancy ever gets to take you to, to Ephesus, and someday I'm hoping to go there, if you get to go to Turkey, she'll take you through the streets, and you'll see on the ground a little fish dug out in front of one of the storefronts. Do you know why? That's how you identified believers. They were going, hey, a Christian lives here. That little fish wasn't a bumper sticker. It was a secret symbol that said, I'm, we worship here. Come here to fellowship. It's safe. Do you know why? Because it wasn't safe to talk about your God. We were the people of the way all that way. You guys are elitist. They've always wanted us dead. Why? Because the Lord of the world wants us dead. But death is swallowed up in victory. You sang this morning about the joy of the life. We are alive and well because of Jesus and not because things are comfortable. It's going to get weird. It's already weird. Spend more time in Austin. We're just catching up. <laughs> Fly to Frisco. The world, it's not spinning out of control. It's right on target. Read the end of this thing. You and I have been planted here. For such a time as this. In all of history, the sovereign one said, I have tooled you for this time. And we're going, ah. <laughs> and pastors are going, let's boycott. And God's going, no, no, go. Go get them. Stay out of the bathroom. But go get them. I need to protect my children. Okay. Then go to the toilet department, not the toilet. We need to support Chick-fil-A. It is every member of that staff has to be a born-again Christian. That's not true. Relax. You're all taking me too serious. Breathe. 
Go to the bathroom at home. Uh, I have the right to take my children. Not anymore, you don't. Well, I think Target's going to back off. Maybe they will, but it's only a matter of time. So we should just roll over and let them? <laughs> You're a fool if you think this country belongs to the Lord. I'm sorry. It's a wonderful country. But there's only one nation on the face of this earth that has a covenant relationship with the living God, and it's Israel. And they are in blatant rebellion. And until they confess their sins, get on their knees, and repent, God will not heal their land. As for the United States, it is a country made up of people who either choose to follow God or choose not to follow God. And I want to choose to follow him, and I'm trying to find people who will join me in that. Even if that means I can't go to the bathroom at Target. <gasps> I like their popcorn. I just can't have a Coke with it. I, I know, I know you're like, you got the bully pulpit. I, I just, I'm just blown away at what we're saying right now. I mean, I know, I know, I know why we're saying it, and I know you're scared. I get it. But perfect love casts out fear. And men and women who have children, your job was never to protect them from this life. It was to introduce them to Jesus and make them warriors for the kingdom. You should not raise your children to live safe. You should raise them to die well. We've made our children soft. We give them everything they want, and we don't ask anything from them. That's part of the problem. The problem with the church is we're not having babies anymore because we're afraid of the culture they'll grow up in. That's the reason we have babies, to have young disciples that we live with, that we model Christianity with, and we introduce them to a loving father so that they can go out there and tell their generation about Jesus. My kids will never understand the unique life I lived in in the San Diego in the 60s and 70s. They aren't supposed to, but they do understand the culture they're growing up in. And there's some things that they put aside and don't want to deal with. That's because it's new to them. We are reading hate into our children. Yes, Homosexuality is a sin, and transgender, I believe, is a psychiatric illness, it's just like believing you're a rock. But even mentally ill people need Jesus. Jesus didn't say to people, I'd love to save you today, but you're crazy. He said, let's have dinner, Zacchaeus. Little man who will forever be remembered as a small guy who climbs trees. Let's have dinner. And you know what the church is doing? We are just like Jonah. We're going, I love being a prophet, love serving you, God. Good, go to Nineveh. I'm a little busy. I'm going on vacation to Tarsus, which just happens to be in the opposite direction. Why? I don't like Ninevites. They're violent. They're sexually deviant. They're gross. And it's not good for me to be there. Jonah, go to Nineveh. And he gets in a boat, and he goes the opposite direction. Brothers and sisters, we've been left here to go to Nineveh. If somebody told you something else, they lied to you or held back because they don't want to go to Nineveh either. This is, this is not, um, what is it the prof said to Zach's group? Tough it up, buttercup. This is the real deal. I freaked out by a tiny snake about that long in my hallway. It was huge. Like the biggest worm you've ever seen. (laughs) 
but we can't shriek away from this one, friends. Or we'll sit around in holy huddles arguing about toilet paper prices. Chapter 4, which we're in this morning, believe it or not, verse 1 starts with this. So we already looked at earlier, leave that up there for me, bro, but we already looked at what his spiritual concern was for them. And it's going to come back to that in a minute. But now you see why he's spiritually concerned for them. This is, this is the thing that has propelled James to write a letter to the believers who are spread out. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you guys? So he's hearing Pastor James in Jerusalem that the Christian Jews throughout the region are all fighting among themselves. Kind of like Facebook yesterday. There's bad mojo among the Christian Jewish community. But James isn't merely interested in stopping these quarrels. He sees as a heart problem and he wants them to see so that they can have heart surgery done. And that, where, uh, that's James 1b, the second half. Don't these quarrels come from the evil desires that war within you? I mean, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. We are called throughout the New Testament to choose to live what we are, not what we feel. We're called to trust God for what we need and not what we want. We're called to serve him wherever he calls us, not where we feel like serving. He, we are called in the New Testament over and over to allow our performance to reflect our position in Christ. I am a child, therefore, I am going to serve God, period. No matter where, no matter to whom, and no matter with what. And let me show you some of those. Ephesians 4.1, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, Paul just throws that in there to say, look, nobody's paid more of a price than me for this. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg of you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Please! Please! I'm in prison for this. Join me! In Romans 12.1, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. That's a tough word. Let your lives be a sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Therefore, come out from among the believers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't live like them. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Because we have these promises, dear friends, the promise of eternity, the promise that God will never leave us. Let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work toward complete holiness. Holiness isn't purity. We are already pure. It means maturity. Grow up. Colossians 3.1, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sides on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things on the earth. What's happening in our country? Think about heaven. Nothing has happened to your real country. Your real citizenship is there. Vote, go home. We're losing. We need to fight. Go out to dinner. You do what you can. And then you trust the Lord for the rest. Why? Verse 3, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. 1 Peter 2.12, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. 
I've already mentioned the fact uh, that Jesus called us as his followers to pick up our selfish ambitions, throw them away, and pick up our cross and follow him. I could spend the rest of our time this morning showing you from all over scripture where God asks his followers to not live for themselves, but to stand out by living for him out there in a wicked and rebellious world. James is simply echoing what is elsewhere in this, wonder, elsewhere in this wonderful book that we call our, our Bible. And we must choose as to who we will serve. Will we serve ourselves and our comfort zone, or will we serve God out of our comfort zone and put ourselves second? Those at biggest risk are those who live for themselves in the name of Jesus. What happens when we marry our comfort zone and our political angle with Christianity? I'll tell you what happens. Self-deception. The minute we actually believe that this country was founded by godly, born-again believers, we have ignored the facts. And they're not my facts, they're facts. Study. The minute we say that we are not still accountable as a nation, that this country is more immoral than it's ever been, it is to say that 250 years of slavery was not immoral or as immoral as having bathrooms, a third bathroom. It is, to ignore, it is to ignore one and a half million aborted babies a year and saying God just kind of smiles at that. Or what happened with the Indians? Or what about the French and Indian Wars? Have you ever read that and how America played a role in that? Remember the movie, A Few Good Men? Remember at the end of the movie when the guy who's being prosecuted says, you want me on that wall, you need me on that wall, and you're not man enough to know what I do over the wall. You know the problem with that movie? It's like what Christians do. Christians say, just go do your thing, and as long as I'm safe, I don't care how you do it. The fact is, when you accepted Jesus Christ, you were adopted out of your American citizenship. And you were adopted into a new family. And you said at that point, whether you knew it or not, remember the verse is, if you confess with Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you actually said, I'm more about you than me. I'm more about heaven than America. Well, why can't they both be the same? Because your flesh will always win. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong or it's not good to try to fight for morality in this country. I think that's a good thing. The question is, at what cost? At what cost? What if we win? What if we win? You know, a lot of us in this room, a lot of you, uh, I, I found out recently that, that many of you think that I, I voted for Obama <laughs> twice in one election, and Hillary that year, and, uh, and everybody else. It's just not true, but... The fact is that, um, you know what, I, I always try to be political, so I'm not going to go there. I just simply want you to understand that we have to decide. We have to decide between the good and the best. And it does not mean you can't be wise. It means you're wise and available. Because the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. 
It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant peace, seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. James is simply echoing what is said throughout this book. And what we've done today is exactly what the Jews did in the New Testament when they tried to marry Judaism with Christianity. Judaism always wins. Legalism. Unfortunately, starting back with Peter and the new church in Jerusalem, we have actually Christianized, separating ourselves from the very ones we were called to minister to. Um, Ted Cruz was introduced in November at an, a conservative Christian rally by a man who immediately before introducing the next president of the United States said that we all know from Romans 1 that homosexuals should be killed. Those are your people. And Ted Cruz didn't say, I devout, that's not right. That's not how we deal with people. We introduce them to Jesus. What would you do if you had complete control? Well, I know one thing. I wouldn't let the third bathroom thing happen. Okay, what else? You going to kill anybody who does it? What's your goal? What's your end run? What if God granted all your prayers? What would you do? I just want it to stop because you're not thinking. What if God answered your prayer? What if God has a different plan? What if for 50 years we've been praying for revival in the church? And what if this is how it happened? Um, I, I wasn't sure I was going to do this. Somebody put online this morning a, a blog. Let's see if I can do this without really messing everything up. Yeah, I, I did. I got it. I do not know who this person is. Her name is Anna McCarthy. I don't know if she's a Mormon, an evangelical, but I'm going to read it to you. Um, I'm assuming she's a born-again believer. But I think she should be heard. The other day, Zach, which was her son, and I went to a retail store and were greeted by an associate. I soon recognized the associate as someone I used to go to church with years ago, someone close to my age who I had shared many years sitting next to in our small little church. But he had changed. He was now a she. I could tell my friend recognized me, but didn't think I would recognize them. They helped me, and you can feel her struggle because she doesn't know whether to call her or her or he or her. They helped me around the store, and their hands were shaking almost uncontrollably the entire time. I knew why. They were afraid. Afraid of what I might say if I caught on to what they, who they were. Afraid of seeing the shocked Christian look and of horror on my face. Afraid of my judgment or God knows what Bible verses I might hurl at them. Afraid of being ashamed. And it actually broke my heart. I decided to end uh, their torment and break the silence. I looked up with a big smile and I said, hey, I know you. My friend stood back a bit and sheepishly admitted I was right. I smiled even bigger and I said, it is so good to see you. We talked for a while, a long while actually. I asked, her, uh, or I asked about their family, parents, siblings, and they were uh, where they were living. They shared pictures of family, and we laughed, and we talked about everyone we used to know together. After a while, it became more like two friends catching up than a judgment fest. I hugged my friend more than once. I left that store with a pit in my stomach. They're going to hell without you. I just want you to know that. I left that store with a pit in my stomach. 
And not for reasons you may think. My heart was aching because of what the church has done to people just like them. Now you may think, wait a second, Anna. The Bible says, I know very well what the Bible says, and I cherish it. I've built my life on it. It's clearly sin, is what she's saying. Here's the deal, though. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you can't help but start to act like him. And guess what? He loves. He loves the sick and the poor and the religious, the sinner, and he loves them all. And not the kind of Christian love that says, I'll love you, but, you never talk, but I'll never talk to you because I disapprove of your behavior. No, friends, Jesus wasn't intimidated by sin. He wasn't afraid of behavior that society frowned upon. Remember the adulterer stoning thing? Yeah, this is the guy we are supposed to be acting like. If he wasn't afraid of sin, then we shouldn't be either. Jesus redefined love. He radicalized it. He made, it any, he made any other kind uh, look like cheap imitation. And this love is exactly what the world is starving for. If I'm going to love like, if I'm going to love like Jesus, then I don't have the right to be uncomfortable. I don't have the right to just walk away and ignore. I don't have the right to think that I'm better than them because my sin or issue isn't as obvious and is kept hidden from the false religious exterior. I am, if I am going to follow him, then I can't be afraid to jump in the mud with them, to walk beside them and learn their story, to feel their burdens as though they were my own, to listen, and I mean really listen. Jesus was never uncomfortable, but he knew we would be. That's exactly why he left us the comforter. We call him the Holy Spirit. The closer I walk with him, the more I step. I am with the Holy Spirit, the less I am afraid. In fact, what I find I am fearing more is, is being without him. I have grown so dependent on him now that the idea of not hearing him terrifies me. It's, it's become my lifeline. And when we left the story, my son Zach looked at me and said, how did you do that? I said, do what? You were so normal, Mom. Didn't you feel uncomfortable? I'll tell you what I told him. All I felt was love. Like literally, that's it. Love looks at someone in the eye and says that uh, what others don't. And the more I walk with Jesus, the normal, the more normal and constant this is becoming. Nothing mattered to be to me more in the moment than loving that friend. I like all of uh, uh, it's like all that crazy love, mercy, joy, and kindness that Jesus had poured on me was was ready like a like a freaking freight train to come barreling out of me. I didn't see their sin, issues, choices, whatever you want to call it. I, I don't know the right way to say it. Please don't send me hate mail over that sentence. I saw a person with a soul, with a story, a person I knew as a friend, someone I cared about. That's it, simply love. I can't help but think what a different world this could be if more people decided to really get to know Jesus. Like for real, like at home or in their car or on their phone. Just get to know him. Because when you get to know him, you become like him in the most natural, organic way. It isn't forced, it isn't difficult, it just becomes normal. And I am recklessly in love with Jesus. We need more Jesus normal. We need more conversations and less judgmental gossip. We call them prayer sessions. We need more open arms and less closed circles. We need more eye-to-eye contact and less recited speeches. We need more people willing to serve, willing to be humble and admit they are not perfect either. We are broken and need healing. And it doesn't start with comparing yourselves, thinking you're better. It begins with when we humble ourselves before God and admit we're nothing. When we finally come to the end of ourselves, that's where he can begin his work. And that's the strongest place to be. So here I am, completely imperfect, completely in need of Jesus to work through me in every single moment of every day, and completely convinced that he was and still is the only answer for our brokenness. You know, she pretty much said exactly what James has been saying all of these weeks. Let me read it to you from James chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? 
You want what you don't have, so you scheme to, to, and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage, wage war to take it away from them. Wage war. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. You only want what gives you pleasure. Wow! Did you hear that? What we pray for is what we want. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be, that, uh, should, uh, should be faithful to him, and he gives grace great, generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Did he just call being a child of God and yet still living with our priority of our rights as adultery? Of course he did, because that's what it is. You see, what he did was he sent his son to pay the price for our marriage. That's why the first thing in heaven we do is the marriage supper of the Lamb. He is your soon-to-be groom. You are engaged to him in a Jewish sort of marriage engagement. And soon we will go home and we will marry him. But in the meantime, we've gone back to the thing that he bought us from, and we play with it, our rights, our wants, our flesh. We've, we've committed adultery with ourselves. Do you not see that? Do you not understand? How many of you got engaged to someone and then they went away to prepare to work or, or, or to figure out how you're going to live together and you went back with your old boyfriend? That's adultery. But so is saying, ah, so send me. Send me, Lord. I'll go wherever you want. I am your servant. I want you to go to Nineveh. I ain't going to Nineveh. That's adultery saying that you are my groom, I will follow you, but not following him. That's adultery. Because what we've done and how effective Satan has been is he has married our flesh, our Christian flesh, our clean flesh. We may not be homosexual, and we may not be transgender, and we may not be adulterers and murderers, most of us. But you know what? What we have done is we wink at gluttony, we wink at gossip, we wink at, at attacking each other. We wink at hate. And because it's done within the walls of the church, actually, I've got, I'm going to start a movement. I think we should boycott church. Because the church has taken gossip, and it, 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 it makes it a safe place, calling it prayer. How is that not exactly what's going on at Target? Target says, we're going to make a safe place for these broken people. Do I agree with that? No. But why would I expect a broken person to treat another broken person with that kind of respect? Well, who am I that thinks that they should act like Christians? They shouldn't. Do you realize that for the lost, this is the closest thing to hell they'll ever experience? Why shouldn't they have as much fun as they want? Why shouldn't they find their own set of peace? Why shouldn't they hate us? Because we unsettle their peace with truth. But the truth that should convict is not the hate that comes out of our mouth or avoiding them, but is the conviction they get when we love them anyway, which throws them off. Do you know what must have happened to that guy, girl, in that store? That person went home and said, I can't believe it. I saw my Sunday school teacher from sixth grade. Oh, yeah, what did she do? She hugged me. She hugged me. That's peace. That's what Jesus did. To you. Do you realize how repulsive you were before salvation? Do you realize how offensive you are to the king? Do you realize how much the Jews hated the Gentiles because they weren't circumcised? Who do we think we are? 
boycott bathrooms, not the lost. They don't say Merry Christmas. Who cares? I do. I'm a Bible Belt believer, and people better treat me like that. Knock yourself out. I don't want any part of you. I'm done. Christianity has become a cult. And if you're not sure of that, turn on Facebook. It's a cult. It isn't a message of people of hope for the lost. It's a cult. It's a cult where people who agree get together in a circle and tell each other what they want to hear. It's not a cult. It's not a, it's not a following of Jesus anymore that says, I'll follow you in to the den of iniquity. It's a cult. And Jesus is calling you to step out from the cult and follow him. And so is James. Because this thing is real. It affects our lives. So what do you want from me, James? Verse 7. Ironically, he answers the question. There it is. Humble yourself. So I have to go to Target and hand out water as they come out of the bathroom? No, you don't. You don't even have to go anywhere near the bathroom. It's not that clean and it's to the right as you enter. I want to make it clear. Now, I'm not going to make it clear. I'll tell you on Wednesday night, but I won't say on Sunday morning. First time I walk in a bathroom and there's a woman in the bathroom, she's going to get the full bathroom experience. You want equal access? You're getting the full thing, baby. I'm not talking about engaging foolishness. I'm talking about staying in relationships with people who need Jesus amidst the foolishness. The only way to do that is humble yourselves before God, not the world. They're going to win. I'm humbling selves before God. They don't ever win. They're going to hell without Jesus. They don't win. There's no win in that. There's no win. Humble yourselves before God. Well, I have to avoid temptation. Well, he tells you how to do that in this. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Don't take him on. Don't tell him off. Don't plead the blood over him. Walk away. Ladies, you know what it looks like to resist the devil? Think about that 750-pound non-showering guy who hit on you last week. That's what it looks like to resist. <laughs> Ooh, that's what you do. You walk away. You notice that he's there and you go, oh, I don't need that. Bye. See ya. All of you have it. You've all got it. Because most of you did that to me when I was still dating in high school. You're very good at it. Resist him. What does it mean to resist? When you're tempted, you walk away. Guys, if you're tempted to go into a woman's bathroom, just don't. But what if I'm tempted? Don't. What if I really, really want to use the woman's jaws? Don't. What if it's such an intense temptation, Pastor, that I just can't help myself? Take meds. But don't. Just don't. Do you realize as a child of God you've been set free from sin's control? You don't have to lust. When it starts, you resist the devil. Oh, but I fall. Let's not go there. We all do. That's why grace is grace. But you don't have to. You don't have to walk up to the next homosexual to see and tell him off. Did you know that? You are free to actually shake the hands of a transgender and actually have a good day. You are free. What's the date of the election this year? November what? Somebody in this room knows when the election is. First Tuesday in November, right? Thursday or Tuesday? 
First Tuesday in November. You are, are, you can actually, as a child of God, knowing your citizenship is in heaven, half of you are going to be disappointed in the election. You can wake up the next morning and have the same cup of coffee you had the day before and still have a good day. Well, when Bernie Sanders is president, I'm going to lose all my money. You can have no money and eat rice for the rest of your life and still have joy. How do I know? I've seen it. That's why you've got to get out of this country. I've seen it. Well, what if Christianity becomes illegal? We'll live like Indian Christians or New Testament Christians. Well, I don't want to live like that. Neither do I, but it's not our world. Well, you make it sound so easy. Nobody's going to scream louder than me. Ask Mike. Ask Mike. He saw I was not screaming. I was standing with a shovel when that huge snake. This is scary. It's just a snake. You know what I wanted to do? Resist it until Annie figured out how to fix it. Step over it, walk away. Don't let it ruin your day. Oh, our country is going to hell in a handbasket. Only if you're a middle-class white person. If you're a black person, this country has been hell in a handbasket for 270 years. Oh, that's not fair. I, I know, I know. We can go into all the politics stuff, but I, let's, let's talk about just the 200 years we dealt with slavery. That is real. Would you quit bringing that up? Not until you accept the fact that this country's morals were based on that kind of immorality. And you cannot say it's worse today than it was then. That's not fair. It's not fair. Well, I didn't do it. You may not have, but your grandparents did. And that was us. And to make things worse, pulpits across this country said that that was okay. That's why the Southern Baptist Convention and the Northern Baptist Convention split. Did you know that? Not because the Southern Baptist Convention endorsed slavery, but because the Southern Baptist Convention had a missionary that had slaves when the rule was you can't do missions with slaves, and they, over, they looked the other way because they wanted him on the mission field. Brothers and sisters, we're guilty of a lot of stupid. We really are. So what do we need to do? Humble ourselves before God. How could you ever save people like us? I know, it's kind of cool, isn't it? Now go tell them. How could you save people like them? Wait a minute. You just said, how could I save you? Resist the devil. Move on. Next verse. <clears throat> Excuse me, we're almost done. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. That's the core issue. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up with honor. You have been called to East Texas for such a time as this. And he did not, there's not a map in heaven going, okay, we're not going to reach people here. Target, we're going to circle that, no target. And, and you know what? We're not going to go to Applebee's because now they're serving hard liquor. And we're going to, okay, little black circles. Okay, those are lost people zones that we don't go. Are you kidding me? Next time I hear of a store that doesn't say Merry Christmas, that's why I'm shopping for Christmas. Why? Because they're trying to get rid of Christmas, right? Christianity, all that stuff, or whatever. Whatever they're doing, that's where the temple needs to be. What was it C.T. Studd said? Some people want to serve within the sound of chapel bells. I want to run a, yes a rescue mission one yard from the gate of hell. I'm wanting to join C.T. Studd, who joined Jesus. Who will join me in that? Who will join me? Who will put your rights aside and say, this is worth dying for? Physically, emotionally, but spiritually, I am more alive than I've ever been before. It is time for us to quit claiming things we do not believe. Jesus died for sinners, lost people, transgender people, sick people. He died for them. He shed his blood for them. How dare we keep it from them? Well, I don't have to shop to share. You have to be there to know them. 
The point isn't where you spend your money. Then don't buy anything there. Walk through the store. Take up their oxygen and greet people. Be the temple where it looks like Satan is winning. Be the temple. I understand that a message like this will upset some of you. And I'm going to put some rules on the conversation we're going to have in the coming week. I am more than willing to sit down with any of you and listen to your point of view. But I will only respond with Scripture. That's the rule. And I will only answer your questions if you're truly teachable. I am fully aware that there's a percentage of people in this room and on the Internet who absolutely think that I'm selling out America. And I want to be absolutely clear. I couldn't give a frosty crank about this country anymore because there are people dying and going to hell that are illegal aliens and people who are dying. And you know what? If I have to choose between the two, this country has no hope in my heart. I am sorry. But we have sold our souls to this. We sold our souls to morality. And I raised my kids to die for Jesus, not to live for the church. And I appreciate the vets and all of the stuff that you have done military and this country has done great things, but if I have to choose, this country will never win and nor will morality. Jesus, the grace, the mercy of the cross will win every time. With that said, let's talk. But I'm going to take you to Scripture. And when I do that, I can tell you the answer because it happens about every time. I don't know the Bible like you, but I know Baptist and you ain't it. You're right. Praise God for grace and freedom and mercy. Please go to Target. Don't have to buy anything. Love people. I could. Sorry I ranted. Lord Jesus, please change our hearts. We need it so bad. And I know there's people here scared. I know that parents want to protect their kids. I get that. And they should. But they need to think clearly and smartly and quietly. And be directed by the Holy Spirit and know how to both fulfill their task to you while fulfilling their task to their family. I'm not saying we, whatever. God, just change us and guide us and direct us. And protect us from our flesh. In Jesus' name, amen.